Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands he will bear you up, lest you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him away to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall only, or you, or in him alone, shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels, began, angels came and were ministering to him. The uh, temptations of Jesus are a place that we go a lot of times to find wisdom and strength so that we can figure out how do we deal with the temptations that the devil puts before us. We all have things, every one of us. We have the things that, that people know about and they see. And they could tell you, I think these are the things that tempt you. And some of those, they know and we don't. Sometimes that happens. We're not as self-aware maybe as we need to be to grow or ought to be. And other people see it, but we don't. Some things we readily see and some things uh, we, uh, we know about and everybody else doesn't except for Satan, the tempter, and God, the healer. And what we want to look at this morning is uh, not necessarily, this might seem strange, not necessarily how exactly did Jesus handle each one of these because we, we've looked at that before. He handled them by each one of them embracing the temptation by embracing it with Scripture and saying, I see what you're up to, I see what you're doing, and this is what God has said. Now, in order to do that, what do we first have to be familiar with? What God has said. That seems really basic, but how many times has Satan come to you, tempted you, a situation tempted you, and you had to say in your heart, I wish I knew what God thinks about this. I wish I knew whether or not this is okay or not okay. Maybe you've asked yourself the, the question, I wonder what we believe about this. Honest show of hands. I don't do shows of hands very Shows of hands? Is that, that is not the right plural, surely. But I don't do this very often, but I'm going to test honesty this morning. How many of you in your lifetime have said about some topic, not going to give a topic, this is not Saturday Night Live, but how many of you have said at some point, I wonder what we believe about? Okay, good, honest people. Only like three liars in the room. That's good. Because <laughs> I know people have asked me that. They didn't raise their hand, right? So that's, that's always one of those things where we... We kind of are revealing something about ourselves, and I'm not picking on it. I'm not picking on it, okay? So don't take it that way. Uh, but that reveals something about ourselves where we have a gap between what we need to know and what we do know. And sometimes Satan uses that gap. And sometimes we find out what we, what we should have, what I should have thought, what I should have understood God wanted after the fact. And so ignorance sometimes gets a little bit dangerous. So... In all of this is the built-in encouragement 
to follow the example of Jesus, to know God's will well enough, God's Word well enough, that you can actually say to Satan himself, remember, Peter said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He knew that by both experience and trial and by deliverance. It was a fact, not a wish. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But I would challenge you, do what Jesus did. Speak the Scriptures to Satan himself and watch him flee. Because he doesn't resist because we're anything. He resists because God is. Okay? So that's kind of the, uh, something that we kind of, we're going to come to this with that understanding and, and go from there. Before we get back into the Scripture itself, you may have seen this before. If you've ever read Stephen Covey's, uh, what do you call it, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he has this picture in there. Now, another show of hands. There is not a right or a wrong answer on this, so I want you to answer honestly. How many in the room see a young lady? Okay, those hands down. How many of you see an old lady? Not as many, but you saw different things, didn't you? Isn't that weird? It's, a, it's an optical illusion that you, they're both here. There is a young woman and there is an older woman. Those of you who saw the young saw this as a hat and a feather and this is her cheek line, see there, and her jawbone there and her nose and fancy clothes and a necklace. Now all the people who saw the old lady are going, what? Because what you saw is a very worn out woman with a very large nose, see? This is her nose, her wrinkled eyes, this is her sad mouth, and she's wearing a scarf over her like a babushka. No? The ones who saw young still see young. Is that what you're saying? Okay, well, it's all there, actually. And I didn't put them in here. You can take away one detail, and it completely only, then only shows one or the other, depending on what you take away. But it's an optical illusion, and different people are going to see different things, kind of a Rorschach thing. Uh, all the old people saw young, and the young people saw old is what happened. Ah, gotcha. No, not really. I have no idea why some people see. It's just what you see. It's just what you see. But temptation kind of works that way, doesn't it? And, and Satan works this way, where he tries to get you to see the details he wants you to see. Go back in your mind to Genesis chapter 3 and, and picture what happens in the garden. In the garden, the serpent, Satan, approaches Eve and he tempts her. And he tempts her by, by showing her what he wants her to see. By getting her to only focus on the details he wants her to focus on. So if he wanted her to see young, he would only focus on those details. Old, he would only focus on those. And instead he says, you know, God didn't really tell you that you would die if you ate that. Did he? Well, he did actually, yes. He did. When, and, and so he, but he words it in such a way where it creates a false impression. Well, he didn't really mean that. He didn't really say that was going to happen. And besides, we really know that you would like to see what he sees. You would like, it, he sees young, you see old. You'd like to see the young, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to know those details and be able to see it the way that God sees it? And he kind of winds this illusion around her. And it's kind of funny because he gets her focus deeply into this one piece of whatever this fruit was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he has her focused just on that. All around her, she is surrounded by plenty. She's surrounded by fruit. She's surrounded by vegetables. She's surrounded by everything she would ever need. Every day, up until this day, every need was met without farming. All she had to do was walk that's it. I think I would like a peach. Ooh, a peach tree. Whatever she wanted, 
It was there. And somehow, by focusing just on this, Satan got her to completely ignore everything around her. He says, that looks good to eat, doesn't it? Well, yeah, so did the four million other things right around her in the garden. Boy, doesn't that look good to eat. I bet there's nothing else here that's quite like that. And he gets her focus just on that. Hadn't he done that with you? I bet whatever your that is, I bet that would be better than... And then you can lose focus. When Satan tempts people to commit adultery, to break their marriage vows, he doesn't get them to focus on their spouse. He gets them to focus on everyone else but their spouse. He gets them to focus on self and things that they want. If, if he's tempting someone to steal, it doesn't matter anything God's ever given you before. All that matters is that fruit. Boy, doesn't that look good. Wouldn't that Snickers bar taste good, you know? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that car look better in my driveway than it does in theirs? Wouldn't that money be handier in my pocket than it is in theirs? Wouldn't that, and you forget everything God's ever done, that He will take care of every need, that He, he will provide every time, and you forget all that and you focus on, but wouldn't that one just fix all my problems? Wouldn't that pill, wouldn't that drink, wouldn't that person, wouldn't that lie, cover up all, wouldn't that, wouldn't that, wouldn't that. And he just gets you to focus. Just the details that he wants you to focus on. Look at how he does this with Jesus. First, he goes to his appetite. And we all, there we go. Oh, my, my battery, I think, might be running low. Passions and appetites. He first goes to the fact that Jesus was what after 40 days and nights? Hungry, right? He was hungry. I've got to tell you, 40 days and nights, you know what James would be? Dead. That's what James would be. We would call this dead. This would not be hungry. Uh, so that's pretty incredible just in and of itself. But after 40 days and nights, he isn't hungry. He's, what do we call it when we're really hungry? Hangry, right? You're like hungry, angry. I don't know if he was angry, but we would have been. You're just absolutely starving. And it's, it's kind of, it is like the Snickers commercial. Okay, that is the way that that works for a lot of us. And, and most of us, the first temptation before bread would have been cranky, you know, bite everybody's head off. But here he is, 40 days and 40 nights, the man is hungry. I don't care if it's Jesus. And you're thinking, well, yes, but it's Jesus. I'm sure that it was easier for him to fast. Uh-uh, he was a man in a human body. And it was as hungry and achy and tired and worn out and weak because of the situation as you would be. And he's hungry. And so Satan goes, that rock almost looks like a loaf of bread, doesn't it? I bet you could change it into a loaf of bread. And what would we have done? <laughs> BLT, skip straight to the finished product, right? Hamburger, cheeseburger, anything. What does Jesus do? Man does not live by bread alone. And the problem wasn't necessarily that, that he could have done that or that it was bread. The problem was, who was it leading him into this? This ought to be one of our first red flags that we are, are being tricked by an illusion of Satan. When we know that the only one who benefits from an action is Satan and not God. When it gives more to his agenda to the, than to the agenda of Christ, then we know that that's something we need to avoid, even if it's something as simple as, well, you know, you could turn that into bread. Yeah, and what would Satan have done if Jesus had followed his advice? What would he have done if Jesus had been selfish with the abilities that he was being given? You see what I'm saying? But he got him to focus on, on the illusion of stone to bread because of his own 
internal needs, his bodily needs. We are so often taken in by just our, our physical passions and appetites. Paul writes about that we are constantly at war between the spirit that longs to do good and the flesh that is weak. When Jesus was tempted, it was no different. And Satan knows that and he's hitting at that. We all like to eat. Jesus liked to eat. It wasn't that he could just go out there and go, well, I'm the Son of God. What do I really need with bread? The body he was in at the moment needed something. He still said no, and we'll get to why. The second thing he he appeals to gets us all as well. He takes him up to the corner of the temple. Let's look back at it here in the text. He says, the devil took him up, verse 5, to the holy city and set him at the pinnacle of the temple. And he says to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. He creates an illusion that Jesus is just a spoiled child. That, that all God wants is for, for Jesus to be taken care of and for Jesus to be happy. Right? Isn't this the illusion he uses for us a lot of the time? Well, God just wants me to be happy. I know he just wants me to be happy. And I know that it says in the Bible that this isn't right, but I know that God wants me to be happy. And I know that He wouldn't have brought this into my life if it wasn't good for me, forgetting that God's not the only one who brings things, people, and, and, and temptations into your life. Satan does too. And so Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, you know, you are such a chosen one. You're such a golden child. Your daddy loves you so much, he's not going to let anything. Why don't you just show us just how much your God loves you? Why don't you just show us that God's powerful? That's really what you came to show us anyway, right? You really came to show us that that God takes care of His own. Why don't you prove it? Why don't you throw yourself down there? You know those angels are going to come down. Why don't you just just show us? Prove it. If you're really all that, if God really loves you, I'd like to see that. appeals to pride, doesn't it? Because wouldn't you in that moment have been tempted to maybe stomp Satan a little bit and say, okay, I'll show you. I'll show you you're false and God is real. I'll show you you're a liar and He is true. I will prove that what He said is right. Well, Jesus did, but not the way the devil wanted. He didn't do it by showing pride and arrogance and, fine, yeah, I'll show you that I'm the Son of God and walk off. Instead, He again points back to the Scripture. Jesus said again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We are not to put the Lord our God to the test either. That is also pride and arrogance. God, I know you have to. There are sometimes in religion there are ways in which we try to manipulate God. God, you said you would, so now you have to, so I'm holding you to that. Maybe we wouldn't word it quite that way. But there are movements in, in Christianity sometimes that are built on that kind of a manipulation of God. Name it and claim it is pretty much that. God has to do it because He said so. Don't you know that sometimes, I'm not saying always, sometimes Satan is behind that saying, hey, The Lord said He would. Why don't you test it? Why don't you try it? Why don't you step out there? It's not the same thing as walking out on faith. It's walking out on putting God to the test. And Jesus caught the illusion. He said, that's not really what you're up to, Satan. And I know it. And so He pushes back again with what God's will actually was. Then He appeals to power and ambition. Now, all these things appeal in some level to everybody at some point. And this one is is for, for all of us one that, that, that hits us at different times. We like the idea of having some power. We like the idea of, of accomplishing things, changing the world, building, and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes that's, that's well and good, but Satan has a way of twisting it 
to his own purpose and twisting it till it feeds the second problem of our pride and our arrogance. And so he tries it with Jesus too. I think there's something else going on here too that we'll get, we'll get at. Verse 7, well, 8. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Let's just stop for a second. Anyway, Satan is showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world and saying, I will give them to you. What's already the illusion? That they're his to begin with. Satan at this point thinks he's won. He's bought into his own illusion. We're going to come back around to that. But he's acting as if he has won already. And he's saying, I will make sure that they bow down to you. I'm better at convincing them than you are. I'm better at leading them along by the nose than you are. So if you really are here to establish a kingdom, if you're really here to reign over them, why don't you go through me? I'm more effective and more efficient. Boy, talk about bold and arrogant. But that's the kind of liar we're warned that Satan is. What does Jesus say? You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now, I like that Jesus not only quotes the Scripture as written, but do you wonder how He emphasized this? Satan, an angel who has fallen and rebellious, who was created to serve Jehovah God, but refused out of his own ambition. And Jesus quotes to him, You, you are to serve the Lord your God. Him alone shall you serve. Not only, he's saying, not only, well, I only serve Jehovah, not you. I think he's actually given him a reminder. And you were created to serve him you rebellious little snake. And he puts it right back to him. Maybe it's not coincidental then if that's when he left. Maybe not. But he, he, he speaks right into his power and his ambition. He does all this, Satan does, by putting up illusions. God won't really destroy you. You won't really die. You will be just like God. That's the illusion he sold Eve. You could, you could turn these stones to bread And it's not going to have any big consequences. You're just going to finally be full. It won't be that big a deal. Look, God's going to take care of you. So we could just end this battle and you can prove all of this and I'll have what I want. You'll have what you want. And what's the big deal? And if you'll just bow down to me, I'll be a great ruler. It won't be any problem. And I'll even give you all these kingdoms. And you won't have to go through the cross. See how he offers them a shortcut? You won't have to go through all of this if you'll go through me instead. God is going to make you go through a lot of trouble but I'll just give it to you and all you have to do is bow your knee. It's easier. So much simpler, the devil's way. That's the illusion. But I came across something this week that I thought was kind of interesting that uh, also teaches us maybe something that you haven't thought about about this. I hadn't really thought about it this way. Uh, While he's giving Jesus these temptations, while he's putting up all of these illusions, while he's back in the garden with Eve, and tempting her. He's actually revealing more about himself than he is about Eve or Adam or Jesus or you or me. So we've got here, Wile E. Coyote. This is one of my favorite cartoons, right? Love uh, Coyote and, and Roadrunner. And uh, one of the tricks that he did several times was he'd paint a road onto the, the side of the mountain, hoping that when the roadrunner would come through, he'd bash his head into the side of the mountain and boom, dinner time, right? That was always the way it was supposed to work. How many times did it work? None. Sometimes he did it and it was a, a tr- he'd paint a train tunnel and the roadrunner would come, he'd run right through this tunnel that was painted on the wall. 
he'd stand there and scratch his head and get hit by a train coming out of the tunnel. He'd paint it on the wall. Weirdest thing, right? Run over by his own illusion. Run over by his own illusion. In this particular when you can see what's about to happen, right? He's going to get all his speed up, chase the roadrunner through the illusion, but he can't. He forgot that it was his own illusion, and he runs into the wall and bashes his head. And that's exactly what we just saw Satan do. He painted it on the canyon wall, thought Jesus would be stopped, and Jesus wasn't stopped. And then he's going to try and run into the tunnel himself, and you had the book of Revelation. Where does he end up? Flat as a pancake. That's the way that works. But I want to share this insight. This is by uh, Jane Williams. And she wrote this. When the devil offers Jesus power in exchange for worship, he doesn't realize how much of his own deepest desire he has betrayed. He longs to be God, or at least to have what he imagines God has, because the strange irony is that the devil is as taken in by his own illusions as are Adam and Eve. Think about that. When he's tempting Eve, he's really telling her what he wants to be like God. He wants the power. He wants the authority. He wants the knowledge of good and evil. You see, he reveals more about himself than her. He has not apparently noticed that God isn't like that. The devil lives in his own world of illusions, longing to be what he is not, hating what he sees as his own incompleteness, just as he persuades Adam and Eve to hate theirs. Only Jesus is content to be what he is, God's beloved and obedient son. Let's look at a couple of things here. The first is, is about Satan himself. What he wants, what he longs for, is to be what he imagines God to be. He wants to be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-authoritative, to reign over everything. And I think probably what we see in that last temptation is his ultimate desire. He would love to slap the Lord in the face by reigning over his Son. Think about that. He hasn't apparently noticed that God's not like that. God is not the angry, power-hungry, belittling God that Satan imagines he could be if only he had the power to be. He's fallen in love with his own illusion and doesn't even see what God really is about. He doesn't see that what Jesus is, is about is not just getting power over kingdoms so that he can reign over them, but it's so that he can save mankind from the destruction and the sin that the devil has caused. Satan's blind to it. And because he's blind to it, Jesus will go to the cross. He will pay that cost. He will rise from the grave. And his kingdom will be established. And people will be saved. And there's not a thing Satan can do to stop it. But he didn't see that because he was too bought in, suckered in by his own illusions. The second is this, and it's about Jesus. What he didn't see in Jesus was that it was never about his personal ambition. It was never about his pride. It was never about his arrogance. It was never about any of those things. It was never about his passions and his appetites. It was always about the will of God to save mankind from sin. So these things that, the, that Satan tempted him with, the reason he was able to overcome them was not just because he's Jesus. It was because he was obedient to God. Now that we need to pay close attention to. Because if we can put our names in there, and whereas instead of saying only Jesus is content to be what he is, what if it said there that Bill is content to be what he is? Ralph is content to be what he is. Steve is content to be what he is. Emma is content to be what he is. Put your name in. You are content to be what you are, what God has created you. 
a beloved and obedient son, a beloved and obedient daughter. There are temptations that when you are content, have no power over you. There are temptations that when you are, are comfortable and content with, I know I'm God's child, I know He loves me, you can start to say, and that means I know I don't need that. I know I don't need them. You begin to overcome. And when you can both be content and know and speak and live by the Word of God because you've been so engrossed by His Word, you've gotten those spiritual habits of getting into His Word, and you've gotten the spiritual habits of bringing things before the Lord and seeking His strength and His guidance, you will. We should not read Matthew 4 like, that was Jesus, but I can't do that. We should read Matthew 4 like, that was Jesus, and He exposed Satan for who He is, and why would I fall for that? Why would I give in to that? And so we stand with Jesus, content with who we are before God, loved and obedient children, brothers and sisters, men and women of God. Because that's who we are. It's what He's made us to be. And it's the strength and the power and the authority that His Word has to speak. So that when we resist the devil, He flees from us. Because He doesn't know what it's like to be content and obedient. And His illusions fall apart in the presence of those who are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You were, are so concerned with our eternity that You're with us in every moment, that You will guide us with Your Word and with Your Spirit and with Your strength to overcome. Father, we, we lay before You the things that have distracted us, the illusions that we've fallen for. And Father, we seek Your mercy and we seek Your grace. And Father, we thank You that we know that it's there. Father, I, would, I pray that, that everyone here, every one of us, that we will take the time this week to spend with You, to listen, to seek Your wisdom, to read Your Word, so that we'll be better equipped when Satan comes calling. Father, we pray that You will give us the courage and the strength because of You and because Your Spirit lives within us to stand up and to do right and to be faithful and to be obedient and know we're loved. It's in Your Son's name that we pray. Amen.